Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, hey, we're in the middle of this series, right, right smack in the middle, called Crossworthy. Look at somebody and say, Crossworthy. Crossworthy. And last week we talked about how, how Jesus saw that you were worthy of healing, right? Physical healing. Jesus saw that you were so worthy of physical healing that he endured a brutal flogging. He, he endured the punishment for, for criminals so that we could walk in wholeness and healness. Amen. And today I want to talk about, and that was really specifically talking about physical health. And you can lump emotional health and mental health into that. How many know that your brain is an organ? Right. And so we, we can, we can talk about mental health and we can throw that into that. But, but also, how many know that God wants your soul healthy? Come on. And somebody, usually we're one way or the other. Well, the body's more important than the soul or the soul's more important. They're both important. They're both equally important. And when we talk about the soul, the scripture uses a couple of different words. The, the, the ancients used words to describe because we didn't have science. Many times they would talk about, uh, your, your mind or they would talk about your heart and, and the way that we process things internally. And one of the words that we can really use for both of those things is the human soul. When we talk about the human soul. We're talking about our mind. Come on. We're talking about our willingness in our mind. And we're also talking about our emotions. Now, typically in church, we're, we're either really emotional or we're anti-emotional, right? But how many know that God wants you healthy emotionally, right? And how many know that God wants you to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, come on, and with all of your strength, all of your discipline. But he also wants you to be connected and healthy emotionally so you can love him that way. So when we talk about the human soul, we're talking about the person that is not physical. Right? Everything in your life that isn't physical, that's not tangibly physical, that's your soul. All right? You, you good? That's a, that's a good definition for you. So, and, and typically what we say is we say I'm a person and I have a soul. Actually, or I'm a body and I, my body has a soul. No, you, did you know that, that we can't find the human soul through science? You can't do a scan to check on your soul. Did you know that you are not a human body with a soul? You're a soul with a body. And uh, C.S. Lewis or George MacDonald, there's, you know, kind of conflict on who said that first. I don't know, but I know that's a great truth, is that we are human souls and we have bodies. And so God is concerned about the health of your soul. Now, last week we talked about Jesus enduring this scourging. And then we see in Matthew chapter 27, this is where we're going to pick up. Shut up, Siri. Why are you going off when I'm preaching? All right. So Jesus had, had just, uh, don't interrupt me. She was amen in me. Yes, let's talk about it. Bless the Lord, Siri. All right. Don't, don't interrupt me anymore. I'm going to put you in the nursery. All right. So Jesus, Jesus had just endured the, the, the flogging, right? The, the, the scourging with whips. And it says this in Matthew chapter 27. Now understand, Jesus is exhausted. He's dehydrated. Come on, he's disoriented. He's wore out. He just, he just endured all these, all, all these court 
dates. Come on, he was, he was there before a judge. He was dealing with the scrutiny of the people. He was dealing with all this rejection. And then he's whipped, almost beaten to death, literally almost beaten to death. And it says this in Matthew chapter 27. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. Verse 28, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his hand as a scepter, and they knelt before him in mockery and taunted. So here's Jesus, beaten down, bloodied, possibly organs, nerves, bones exposed, literally bleeding to death, and they're mocking him. Taunting him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. So here's Jesus with this crown of thorns. And they're beating him on the head with this stick. Driving those those thorns deep into his skull. Verse 31. Then when they were finally tired of mocking him. Not when they looked at Jesus and said, oh, he's had enough. No, no, no. When they grew tired, when they grew bored of mocking him. And beating him further, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Have you ever been trimming like a rose bush or a thorn bush and got poked with one of of those wild thorns? Anybody? It hurts. It's really painful. Like just on your little finger, right? You're like, ow, right? And it hurts like for a few minutes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you've been poked with a thorn. Imagine those thorns being, you know, about two and a half or three inches long. And not just two and a half, three inches long. Actually, these, these thorns were, were from a, let me see if I can say this right, Euphorbia milli. Hey, if that helps. Larger, sharper, more poisonous thorns wrapped into a wreath-like crown put, placed upon your head and then hitting those thorns, driving those thorns deeper into your skull, into the skin, into the, the nerves in your face. This is called swelling and nerve damage. All the blood vessels, all the pain that he's already experiencing, experiencing more. Uh, many, many... Uh, Historians would say that that Jesus experienced excruciating facial pain and even hallucinating during this time. So here's Jesus totally having this like crazy experience. I want I want to talk about thorns just a minute because thorns are an ancient symbol of a curse. Thorns are an ancient symbol of a a curse. Now, when we talk about a curse, I'm not particularly talking about something that, you know, some witch or somebody put a spell on you and now you're under a curse or, you know, you say, say I'm cursed, but, but kind of I am when we say I'm cursed because I've heard people say that. Have you heard anybody say in their life, like, I think I'm cursed because this thing keeps on happening to me. I think I'm cursed because this dysfunction that I have. And so when we talk about a curse today, what we're talking about is not necessarily the sin itself, but the results thereof. Because sin entered the world, 
So did a curse. It's the thing that came along with sin. And it says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Right after the fall, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. You're going to eat of it. You're going to get fruit from it. But it's going to be painful. You're going to have to work hard. Then he says this, verse 18. It would produce thorns and thistles. Thistles are like weeds. Thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. So it's like we get the food, we still get to eat, we still get to be fruitful. However, we do have this problem that comes along with getting food, it's thorns and thistles. Now it's a hassle. Now you don't just get to eat, now you have to deal with all the crud that comes along with it. And see, this is the way it works with sin. Sin, many times, is dealt with, but it's all the stuff that comes along with it. Sin bears within itself a punishment. And many times we get, we get, we get the sin dealt with, but it carried all this junk with it. And now I have to deal with what the sin brought along with it. My sin's forgiven. I'm right with God, but now I have all this junk because of it. It's the curse of sin. It's the thorn of sin. Every rose has its thorn. Remember that? Some of y'all grew up, some of y'all close to my age. Every rose has its thorn. It's true. We can amen that song. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's glorious, but it's also painful. It's also poisonous. It's also toxic. And these are the things that that haunt us or trouble us on a daily basis. Thought patterns. Come on, dysfunctions. And these are some of the things. Dysfunction. Some of you have dysfunction. How many would say be honest with me, and I'm going to raise my hand. You are dysfunctional. I am dysfunctional. Typically what we do is when we have a dysfunction, we go, it's because I'm dysfunctional because I was born that way. It's a dysfunction. I'm not like everybody else. I'm dysfunctional. And so we play the victim card. And I'm not necessarily saying that you're not a victim. You are a victim, but there's a way out. So dysfunction are things that we inherited. It's it's the broken, the way I ams, right? Because we're like, that's just the way I am. And we say, but we know it's a dysfunction, right? It's a broken, the way I am. Then we have this thing called shame. Shame is another thorn that's, that's brought along with sin. So we, we sinned 20 years ago, and, and it was a biggie, right? It wasn't just like you lost your temper and cussed at the wall, right? Or even slapped somebody. It's like, so you did a biggie, right? A big sin. And now you deal with it 20 years later. You're forgiven. You're right with God. Maybe even reconciled with the person you sinned against. But because of your bad decisions, you live with the shame. You live with Regret. Well, it's not shame, it's regret. You can just throw those both in the same camp. If it, if it is plaguing your mind, if regret is plaguing your mind, it's called shame. If it's limiting your life, it's called shame. It's a thorn. It's a curse. Dysfunction, shame, and the other is emotional trauma. 
An emotional trauma would be something happened, an event happened I was sinned against. Maybe you were abused physically, sexually, mentally, verbally. Maybe you lost someone that was very close to you and it created a huge wound. Maybe it's a result of sin, maybe not. But an event happened and now you deal with emotional baggage because of it. It's become a curse. Not saying that you're still supposed to be strong and those things aren't supposed to affect you. But you are, but your behavior and your mindsets are different in an unhealthy way because those things happen. So we make statements like this. It's the hand I've been dealt. It's something I have to live with. I've been guilty of saying things like this. You know, it's just, it's what happened. And so the rest of my life, I'm going to have to deal with what happened. I belong to God, but, but somehow I must just kind of live with these issues. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I get to see the Lord face to face. It's going to be amazing. But until I get there, I'm just going to have to deal with this crud. It's a curse. I'm going to get into heaven but I'll have to go through hell to get there. However, we see Jesus wearing the curse. Jesus wearing this crown of thorns, suffering the pain. But understand this, beloved, that although Jesus, they they, they take off his robes, they didn't remove his crown. Jesus took that crown, that curse, all the way to the cross. The whole curse of sin. He didn't just deal with the sin that you committed. He dealt with the results of it. He wore that crown on the cross that day. Christ has broke the curse. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross... He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And then look at this. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed. What is the opposite of a curse? A blessing. He has blessed the Gentiles. You say, well, I'm not a Gentile. You are a Gentile, unless you're a Jew. Jews are Gentile believers or non-Jewish believers. God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Because, listen, because we are cross-worthy, we can be curse-free. You don't have to deal with the dysfunction. You don't have to deal with the shame. You don't have to be dictated by the emotional trauma because you're crossworthy. And because you're crossworthy, you can be curse free. You've moved from cursed to blessed. You've made the switch. It's the year of the green light. It's time to make the switch and move from cursing to blessing. Stop talking. Stop talking about how 
quote unquote cursed you are, how dysfunctional you are, how much, how emotionally traumatized you are, and start talking about how blessed you are. That God sent Jesus to die for you, to rescue you from your sin, but not just your sin, but from your shame, not just to rescue you from your shame, but everything associated with the sin that the sin is affecting you. He came and he dealt with them on the cross that day. The other thing that these, these men do to Jesus, these soldiers do to Jesus, is they begin to mock him. They begin to mock Jesus. And this is part of, I believe, really part of the, the curse mindset in the narrative here. What they begin to mock Jesus about is his kingship. Right? Was Jesus the king of the Jews? Yeah. Jesus is the king of all nations. Jesus is the king of the universe. So here they are making factual, true statements about Jesus, but punishing him through it. Isn't that just like the enemy? He will always pervert the truth. He will always pervert the truth about you. He will turn something that's positive about your identity, and he'll make it negative. Well, look at you. This is what he does, right? We sin. Look at you. Righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Look at you, beloved child of God. Look how you're acting today. Accusation. Humiliation. You're no good. You, you, know, you, know, you know one of the ways that the enemies, you know, you know, you know? You know one of the ways the enemy attacks our identity is, is manipulating our mind by telling us everybody thinks this about you. <laughs> People are going to think you look fat. People are going to think you look stupid. People are going to think you're unspiritual. And guess what the other people are thinking? They're going to think I look fat. They're going to think I look stupid. They're going to think I'm unspiritual. We're so self-obsessed. We'll talk about that later in the series. The enemy is a master of perverting truth to mock our identity. And he uses these head games. Right? He starts accusing us. He starts humiliating us. He starts shaming us. How many know that all these things are things that happen in our soul? All these things are, are, are happening in the unseen realm. I would venture to say that every single one of us this week have battled something of the soul. We've all had to overcome. We've all dealt with accusation. We've all dealt with humiliation. We've all dealt with shame. All of us this week, I guarantee you, every person in the room has dealt with with the enemy coming, oh, look at you. And nobody else knows about it. Why? Because it's all in the soul. These are soul issues. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was 
despised. Get this, beloved. These are all soul issues. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Our emotional trauma, he carried it. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, get this, brought us peace was upon him. This is not talking about partial peace. Well, yeah, I'm at peace with God. God is calling you into complete and total permeating peace. <laughs> Not partial peace. Well, it's just, I have peace with God, but I have this thorn. This curse because of sin. Because of experience. The punishment that brought him, brought us peace was upon him. He was punished for your peace, beloved. And by his wounds, we are healed. I want to talk about having peace of soul or walking in peace of soul. Freedom, yes, from some of these things. All of these things. But peace of soul. Number one is this. Peace has been promised, purchased, and promised. Say that with me. Peace has been purchased and promised. John chapter 14, verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate, the counselor, the parakletos, the one that comes alongside of you as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've said to you. He's going to comfort you with my words. I am leaving you with the gift, peace, here it is, I am leaving you with the gift, peace of mind and heart. What's he talking about? He's talking about peace of soul. He's talking about the unseen. I am leaving you with the gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. See, some of you have been looking for peace in the world. Some of you have been going to worldly mindsets to find peace. And what you get is false peace. What you get is imitation peace. What you get is a, a feeling but no resolve. Remember what Jesus said? He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers for theirs is the kingdom. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a big difference between keeping peace and making peace. Big difference. And so many times, if you're, go, if you're not going from peace to peace, but you're going to peace to confusion, peace to frustration, peace, if you're going from that way, you're getting the world, that, you're getting the peace that the world offers, not the peace that he offers. The peace he offers is a supernatural peace because he's a supernatural God. It goes beyond logic. It goes beyond nature. It goes beyond all of that. It transcends, Scripture says, all understanding. 
The world can't give the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. Don't settle for an imitation. So don't be troubled or afraid. And so what do we do? We cope, right? We have all these coping mechanisms so we can feel peace. Well, I need this substance. I need this affirmation to give me peace. You're not getting peace. That's the reason why you have to keep getting it to get it. That's not peace. That's cope. God didn't come to give you cope. He came to give you hope. He came to give you peace. Not as the world gives. Not anything this world can offer you can give you the kind of peace that Jesus can. It's been purchased on the cross that day, and it's been promised. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you the Spirit of God. Number two, peace must be placed. This is kind of practical. Listen. How do we place peace in our life? Number one, or A, or wherever you want to do your outline, by placing faith in Jesus. Colossians 3.15, let, it, let peace, let peace. Don't force peace, let peace. Let peace rule in your hearts through faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus. So the first step to peace is placing your faith in Jesus. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? And not just when you came up to an altar 10 years ago. Are you placing your faith in Jesus? Let peace rule in your hearts through faith. Faith is active trust. It's not filling out a card. It's not a a decision. It's a lifestyle. Trust is a lifestyle. The second way that peace is placed is by making sound decisions. And so what you have is you have these people who are like, oh, it's just grace. It doesn't really matter what I do. It does matter what you do. Because listen, when you, do, when you make foolish decisions, the enemy uses those foolish decisions to attack you. So don't give him any ammunition. Some of you have so much baggage because you keep doing stupid stuff. It's not that you don't belong to Jesus. It's just you keep making foolish decisions. So now you have all this baggage and all these tools that people and the devil can use against you. Now you have to deal with all that crud. It's not that you're not under grace. I'm under grace. Don't be stupid. Listen, grace is the power to overcome sin. Grace is the power to say no to ungodliness. It's not just, you're under grace, brother. Go ahead. Smoke another blunt. Have another drink. Have another rendezvous. You're under grace. Apparently, you don't understand grace. God will forgive you from your sins, but the enemy will continually use them to manipulate you. If you're making decisions, being nonchalant about sin and saying, God will forgive me, then all you're doing is making room for the enemy. You're just making room. So so have grace to overcome sin. Check this out. Romans chapter 16. I want you to be wise. Now, how many know that, that wisdom isn't possessing something in your mind? It's living the things out that you know to be true, right? You can have all the information, and that doesn't make you wise. What makes you wise is using that information, right? The use of knowledge. Okay, so I want you to be wise about what is good. You can have, how many know that you can have the gift of wisdom and be foolish? Because if you don't make good decisions, it doesn't matter what your gift is. If you're making foolish decisions, that makes you foolish. 
okay? I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent, whoa, untainted about what is evil. Make good decisions. Then it says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Then the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Why? Because you were wise in your decision making. Be excellent, one translation says, of what is good and be innocent of evil. Innocent. That means untouched. Totally innocent. Unaccusable. Woo! Is that even a word? Unaccusable. I don't know if it is, but it works. Innocent. Unaccusable. Can't be accused. I think about Daniel. They had to create laws to nail Daniel. They could find no fault in him. You want to have peace? Pursue that lifestyle. Don't see about how much you can get away with. Come on, be excellent about what is good. Okay. By renewing our mind. So these are just some ways, again, placing peace, your faith in Jesus, making sound decisions, and renewing our mind. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that we are being renewed every day. You weren't just renewed when you came to the Lord. You're being renewed every single day. Romans 12, 2, very, very popular scripture for a reason. Should be popular. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Are you being conformed to the environment that's around you? Is it disrupting your peace? Is it changing your thought patterns? Or are you being transformed? How? By placing my faith in Jesus, yes. But it says this, by the renewal of your mind, by making your mind new. Then you'll be able to to know what the will of God is. Some of you are like, oh, I'm just so confused. I don't know the will of God. Are you renewing your mind? Or are you, listen, are you becoming more like the world every day? Or are you becoming more like Jesus every day? Is your faith dwindling or is your faith growing? Most of us, we make this decision, I'm going to go for God. And then 10 years later, we're further from God than we were in the beginning. Why? You've conformed to the world. What you need to be doing is being transformed to the image of Christ and to his likeness from glory to glory by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? By making your mind new. By getting a brainwash every day. You need a brainwashing. I need a brainwashing. Especially with all the crud that's in front of us on our phones and on Netflix and on the radio or whatever, everything is thrown at us. It doesn't have to be necessarily evil in nature. It's just worldly. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, but there's, there's nothing godly about it either. And so if that's all I'm getting and I'm reading my, bi- my five-minute devotional and the rest of my 12 hours or 18 hours that I'm awake, I'm being filled with the spirit of the world, what do you think I'm going to look like? I'm definitely not going to look like Jesus. So are you conforming to worldly patterns and behaviors and thinking, or are you being transformed? So how do we be transformed? By the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? By the washing of the word, Ephesians chapter 5. 
How, how, what do you do? What are you talking about? You memorize scripture. How much scripture are you memorizing? I want to walk in peace. How much scripture are you memorizing? I'm struggling with sin. How much scripture are you memorizing? David said that in Psalm 119. He said, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin. I'm struggling with sin. Memorize scripture. Have you tried that? Oh, it's hard. So you'd rather be cursed. Meditate on Christ. Meditate on what he said. Remember what the Holy Spirit does? Remind you of everything Jesus said. Meditate on Jesus, what he said. Meditate on the work that he finished. Hebrews chapter 4 says that that the word is like a double-edged sword dividing sharp enough to to basically differentiate in our lives between soul and spirit. That we know what's from God and we know what's from me. You need the word to do that. You need the word to be able to discern that. Are you in the word? That's one of the ways you get peace. I just, man, pastor, I'm just struggling with peace. How much word are you reading? How much word are you memorizing? How much of Jesus are you thinking about? Well, not not very much. Let's try that first. How much time are you spending in worship? I'm not talking about Sundays or Saturdays. How much time are you spending with the Lord? I don't know, but I just can't find peace in my life. (laughs) Let me help. I'm helping you, beloved. This is the, if the doctor gave you these pills and said, take them every day, you would take them. This is the prescription. Am I giving you a formula? Yes. I'm giving you a formula. The formula is a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like my little laugh there. <laughs> okay, lighten it up. Number three, pre- peace must be protected. Everybody say protected. Protected. Peace must be protected. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Do not worry about anything. Oh, Anything? Come on, on, Lord. It's not real. You say that. What's it say in the Greek? Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Oh, this is what he's saying. Yeah. Tell God what you need and then thank him for what he's already done. Meditate on Jesus. Then you'll be able to experience God's peace. There it is which exceeds anything that you can understand, which transcends all understanding. His peace will guard your heart. Oh, here it is. It will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It will guard your soul. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. So he says, pray. How do you, find, how do you, how do you, how do you protect peace? This is what we're talking about. Peace must be protected. Something you get and then you have to protect by praying. Right? And then thinking about right things. He says, now fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? (laughs) No. Stop thinking about it. Stop putting it there. How did those thoughts get there? You put them there. Somehow you put them there. Maybe somebody you're around, maybe something you're watching, maybe something you're listening to. They didn't come from God. So quit putting them there. It's not a sin issue. It's, it's a wisdom thing. It's just keep putting into practice as you've learned and received from one another everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Oh, 
So we protect peace by praying and by thinking about right things. And number four is this. Peace is a person. See, Jesus is the peace that passes all understanding. (laughs) Peace has little to do with what is happening around us, but who is residing within us. Peace has little to do with what is happening around us and more to do with who is residing within us. Peace is a person. For he himself, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Lord, give me peace. You know what you need to pray? Lord, give me you. You need peace. You need Jesus, the Prince of Peace. You get Jesus, you get peace. I had a a moment, probably 16 years ago, I was going through the, the roughest season of my life. I won't I'll spare you the details today. And every night I'd pull out my guitar and I would, I would sit on my, my couch. And I have, you know how we do with a couch in the love seat like an L shape. And I was sitting on my couch. And I, and I had my acoustic guitar, and I would, I would do this every night because I was just, man, I was just dealing with some crud. No, nothing I could control. It's just, what, what can I do, Lord? I need some peace. I need some comfort. And so every night, I'd, I'd go into my living room, and I'd do two things. First thing I'd do is I'd play this album, Don't Hate Me, Caleb, called Art at Worship Skillet. And I'd play it. It was real loud, aggressive praise and worship, and I'd play it. It was a worship album by a rock band, and I liked that. And there wasn't a lot of good worship back then. And I would dance violently in my living room for about 30 minutes. My dog would watch me. And then after I would do that, I would pull out my guitar, and I would just sit, and I would just minister to the Lord. And I remember just crying out to the Lord, and I would say, Lord, I just need you to come, and I just need you to hold me. And I began to write this song, I need you to hold me. Come close, my daddy. I began to just sing that. Lord, I need you. I need you. Would you just come? And I'm sitting there on my couch, and Jesus walks in my room. I'm sitting on the couch, and he comes, and he sits. He sits on the Now, physically, he wasn't there, but he was there. You know what I'm saying? He was in the room. I knew he was in the room. And I, and I, I, I could sense his posture. And he comes, and he sits down on the, that love seat. He, he sits on the edge of the seat. He sits on the edge of that love seat like this. And he's just watching me as I sing, I need you to hold me. Because I want to be where you are. Close to you, my daddy. And Jesus is just sitting there, and he's like, yeah. And I said, Lord, I I just feel so rejected. I just feel so alone. I feel so rejected. And he said, son, listen to me. I experience rejection every single day. And I just remember the peace that covered my life, not just that day, But from that day forward, I experienced a deposit of his peace that I've been able to carry with me. Say, why? Why why was there so peace? Because I wasn't pursuing the peace. I was pursuing the man. And when I got the man, I got the peace. And the, the thing I love about his peace is the weight of his presence will crush the weight of the presence of my troubles. The weight of his presence will crush the weight of the presence of my troubles. And my troubles carried weight. But I tell you what, when Jesus showed up in my, that room that day, 
Some of you just need to get in, get him in the room. You say, well, how do I get him in the room? You just, you just pursue him. Peace is a person. I know we're limited on time. I, I want to minister a couple of things. Rejection. When I say this word, if one of these things ring true with you, I just want you to, I just want you to say yes in your spirit. Rejection, manipulation, shame, emotional trauma. You need memory healing. Dysfunction. Psalm 23.5 says that he prepares a table for us even in the midst of our enemies. And then he says this, I anoint you with oil. We're going to borrow something that we used in our series last fall. The oil that the psalmist is talking about, that David's talking about, is a healing oil that they would use to heal the heads of sheep. So sheep would get these bot flies in their nasal cavity. And they would get these sometimes called nasal flies. And they would bury themselves in there and they would literally begin to drive the sheep crazy. And they're just, all they could do is bah, bah, just freaking out because this stuff's going on in their head. In fact, sometimes it would get so bad that they'll start banging their head up against a tree or a rock just to deal. Sometimes they'll like dip their head in water and almost drown just to deal with all the stuff that's going on in their head. So what a good shepherd does is he, is he looks around at his flock and he says, hmm, I can see that something's troubling them. I can see that something's troubling them. I can see that there's something in their head. And so what he would do is he would take that sheep and he'd bring that, that sheep in and he would take this oil and he began to pour that oil onto their ears and all through their nose. And what would happen is that oil would be, would, would begin to, 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 to drive out all all those navel, uh, nas- navel, nasal, nasal flies and those bot flies, all those things that were troubling that sheep, it would cause them to force out and then that oil would begin to heal.